0: I'm Rebecca Chang, and I'm a therapist, consultant, workshop facilitator, and you are listening to the Inspiration Place with Miriam Shulman.
1: of the Inspiration Place podcast. I'm so thrilled that you're here. Today, we're speaking with an expert in how to overcome imposter syndrome. In this episode, you'll discover why you should focus on enough rather than abundance. You'll also learn how to overcome a scarcity mindset. And you'll discover the six questions to ask yourself when you're feeling and thinking negative thoughts. During this interview, my guest offers a lot of questions to ask yourself, so I thought those would make fantastic journal prompts or even art journal prompts. Since a lot of you are probably listening to this in your car or at the gym, I thought it'd be really helpful for me to create a journal prompt list for you so that you can refer back to it. The best part, you can grab that journal prompt list absolutely free over at shulmanart.com Forward slash six. So all my show notes, including the freebie, are at shulmanart.com forward slash six. Check it out because I think you're really gonna like that. So let's get right into our show. Today's guest is a therapist, workshop facilitator, speaker and writer based out of San Diego, California. She is committed to helping leaders navigate growth edges plus the inevitable curveballs of business and life with courage clarity, and compassion. This guest is a certified Daring Way facilitator, which is based on Brene Brown's research and protocols. She's also a certified internal family systems therapist. Both methodologies deeply influence her lens on change, struggle, and leadership. Please welcome to the show, Rebecca Ching. Hi, hey, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy you were able to spend the time with us
0: today. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. So, you know, the reason I brought
1: you on here is because we had the conversation before for the, my article in Professional Artist Magazine about imposter syndrome. And I feel like we just scratched the surface with that. So, I really wanted to dig a little deeper today to talk about issues. First of all, not just moments in my own life when I feel imposter syndrome creeping in because we all do. But what I've been struggling with lately is when my students come to me Hmm. and I know they're experiencing it and I don't just want to say to them, oh, you just have imposter syndrome. So I'm struggling with how to help them when they come to me saying that they don't feel that they are as good as the other
0: students in the class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is such a common experience. It's almost universal. If anyone's daring to put any of themselves out in the world, it is a universal experience I'm finding.
1: So what I see happen, you know, specifically is I'll get students write to me and they'll say, everyone else in the class is a professional artist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Isn't true. And they're afraid to even post their art. And these, are, these emails are coming to me from students whose art I've seen. And their art is as good as everybody else who is in the class. And I don't know what to say to them.
0: Mm. Yeah, because you can't just go, oh, your work really is good. You can't. Right. It's like, or, oh, this is just comparison. So stop it, right? Exactly. I mean, which is what I do. just, <laughs> you're, just like, well, uh, you're just comparing yourself. Right. And we're naming it. But what I have found really helpful when I hear that come up, whether it's with clients at my mental health practice, or when I'm working with leaders who are rumbling with this, I really start to have them get curious. It's like, tell me more about really what you're afraid of. Tell me more. And really, what are you afraid of people seeing? And what are you afraid of happening If people see that and depending on the dynamic of of your relationship with someone in that conversation, or if you have the bandwidth for time, I really encourage that kind of what I call the U-turn, the Y-O-U-turn. When I notice these overwhelming, like the phenomenon of imposter, the imposter phenomenon, hijacking my sense of calm, clarity, and confidence, I've learned that I do that U-turn and I notice, okay, that means I'm hitting a growth edge. There's something going on that my system, my internal system is saying, this is not safe. And I get curious about it. And instead of seeing it as what's commonly called as resistance, I more just get compassionate knowing that my system's trying to protect me from some perceived threat, even though it may not be a universal truth to what I believe. There's a part of me that's afraid that if I'm seen as a copycat or not as good as other people, or a wannabe, or a hustler, or whatever the language may be. I'll lose friends. I'll lose reputation. I'll, I'll lose relationships. I'll lose my dignity. I'll lose respect. And starting to name that, and then, and that often just, you guys, I often just say, "Tell me more about that." And where do you feel it in your body? And that's really a beautiful thing to just to kind of connect this experience and of getting out of our heads because we try and think through a lot of our struggles especially reoccurring ones. And sometimes when we're just in that thinking part of ourselves, and I don't know, I suspect this is true for you, Miriam, but for me, I, I work with people and I what I, have, what I call the curse of the smarty pants brain, <laughs> like yes. really intelligent, multi-talented individuals, like yeah. really cool people. And there's almost this element too with that kind of depth and, and multi-dimensional capacity that's even more vulnerability. And so,
1: yeah, Let I just want to back up because there's something you said there that was really interesting. Hmm. You talked about not feeling safe. Mm-hmm. Well, there was two things that were going through my head. What well, first was like, I don't want to be their therapist, you know, and like actually ask those deep probing questions. But the other thing I was thinking was, is there, are there things I could do to create a safer environment where they don't feel if they're sharing their art, they're, that they are up for being evaluated or being compared? Or
0: are there things that I could be doing differently? Okay, two answers. So first, I would say that's not a deep probing therapy perspective. Question. I mean, it could be depending on the person, but encouraging them, even if they don't have to tell you, but just to say, go get curious about what you're fear really afraid of being seen as, and post it note it or bullet point journal it, and just look at it. So externalize it, download it. So you don't necessarily have to be the one that absorbs all that. So I respect that boundary. But here's the other thing, Miriam. This is the buzzkill. I don't think there's such a thing as that world that you want where it's totally safe or it's safe to not feel those things. I just okay. I think that's a a myth and we set ourselves our expectations up and we're setting ourselves up for more frustration and feeling of failure. And it really is about the people that can tolerate the vulnerability. And Brené Brown defines vulnerability as risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure, which are all dangerous to our brains. Like, it's like, yes, I'd like to feel risk. And how about some emotional exposure to go? No, but it's what her research has found is that if we can tolerate that space and build resilience to that space, then comes the creativity and innovation. I'm yet to find someone who's putting themselves out there, whether it's in their art and their profession, in relationships, whatever it may be, that doesn't feel that. If you're not feeling that, then you're not doing something that's so true and pure to you. Right. So I think it's like I almost say, welcome when I hear this. Welcome. You're not alone. There's a common humanity. And this is it's almost like the baptism of it. And instead of fighting it, just to get curious about it, instead of letting this struggle be a part of your identity and your okay. worthiness as part of the beauty and, and part of the journey of making great art, whatever that may be. Okay. So what I'm hearing
1: from you is that part of the creative process and <laughs> definitely involves risk, no matter what. And the only way somebody's going to feel a hundred percent safe is never showing it, which is not what I'm encouraging people to do.
0: It's yeah. not really
1: that you're going to have, you're going to feel, you're going to feel vulnerable anytime you
0: share your art is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean think about it. Anytime you share something personal that you've invested in, we're opening up to the critics. We can't get rid of the critics. It is like a phenomenon that is embedded in, in our culture. And then we've got the critics between our years. So we yes. have it in stereo right we have the parts of us that want to keep us small and they're doing that out of trying to protect us i believe to keep us safe but they get beat up for just trying to protect us because they're trying to keep us small and they're being critical for saying who do you think you are
1: so and then how you've much got does that inner critic play into imposter syndrome are the, is it is it one leads to the other
0: or oh i think they're just like a little pot of best friends and <laughs> uh, and and again i've shifted my mindset around these parts of me as protective instead of trying to get rid of them because what i'm learning about kind of who we are and how we're created and we've got this beautiful internal system of multiplicity that these parts of us just have our best intentions even to protect us even though their means of protecting are not helpful that and building relationships with these parts is really and again it sounds a little bit of it's a doozy but to go huh I'm feeling that charge of who do you think you are just came up. Oh, I felt it in my stomach and it grounds me and it helps me approach it from with if I am trying to make a change with trying to shame something out of me or blame or judge it, I'm only going to make it worse. I mean, it doesn't work with other relationships. It, it leads to maybe minimal change, but not sustained change. And so when you're making your art and we live in a world that is ruthless at times, That's why it's essential to get really, really clear on whose opinion matters. And if it's on more than one hand, it's too much. And even filling up a hand is too much. For me, it's like I have a dial, like a one to nine dial of who matters. And it doesn't mean that someone I don't know, or I'm I'm not an artist by profession, but someone who... I know that's also creative that doesn't have skin in the game of doing their own work and really rumbling with it's going to critique me. It doesn't sting. But the other key point is to really get clear on extricating our worthiness from our work. Okay. So that is fundamental. And there's nothing like vulnerability and experiencing the risk of being misunderstood, of being shot down, of being critiqued unfairly or fairly. And the other part is getting curious about how you've had received criticism in the past. Most of us haven't had experiences where it's done well. Right. And so you are providing a space and a culture where to say, hey, tell me more about like this. What, what can I get some feedback? And people can build resilience when there's a culture of feedback where their worthiness as a human isn't on the table for negotiation. Okay. Versus I'm not connecting with this piece or I would do, you know, you say the art terms, the artsy terms but it's not you suck, or even this sucks. And that is the constant work. And the people that I know that are doing incredibly creative and innovative things are constantly doing these U-turns, constantly being radically clear on whose opinion matters. They don't go to the place of, I don't care at all what anyone thinks. Okay. Because that's the other side of the coin if I care what everyone thinks, and they both are bad. It's- That's being a sociopath if you- don't care. Exactly. And yeah. it's not, it's not effective. Then we just armor up and protect her up and we're not then. And then the good stuff doesn't get out or in. Mm-hmm. And so practicing, and these are the terms we're hearing so much now, but where's gratitude in the moments where checking and clean, clear, where's my worthiness? Where am I afraid of being seen as? And just getting curious about that. And even if you don't have to fix it, which I don't believe in, it's just kind of noticing and then feeling the vulnerability, because there's also that place, if you can hold the space of risk and uncertainty and emotional exposure, it's so uncomfortable. And it's also where you feel so alive. And it's very different you know, than shame or blame or judgment. But yes, when you have your inner critics or the experience of feeling like an imposter show up, that is data that you're onto something big instead of an identity piece or to like hunker down that is more the data of I'm on a growth edge here and I need to rally my people.
1: Okay. So when somebody says to me, when a student says to me, I feel like everyone else is prof- a professional artist in your, in your Facebook group mm-hmm. is not true. FYI, it's not true at all, but what they're really seeing is that that's kind of something that's expressing an inner
0: desire that they have to be at that level? So I guess I see it's as twofold. So if someone's saying, you know, everyone else here is a professional artist. So it's not hundred percent true. The reality is a part of them is feeling that. So yeah. to even search a language, man, a part of me feels like a fraud in this community. Like everyone's way more experienced mm. and naming that is really more than half the battle. And not saying I do, I feel your like it becomes your identity, but a part of me identifying there's a part that's scared of being judged or misunderstood or left out or not getting it or not having the right language and that is scary there's also there's a and there's boundaries too like your job isn't to change out it it's just more to fix that because sitting with that day in and day out there I mean scarcity is rampant right I mean, there's just the not enough, not doing enough, you're not enough, there's not enough. The scarcity mindset piece is huge. And I want to just jump in here on this too, because what I read, I'm quoting Brene, I'm a a certified Daring Way facilitator for Brene's work. And so it's so just a part of how I think and feel these days. But when I read Darren Greatly on the chapter on scarcity, that book is full of truth bombs. but she talked about the opposite of scarcity isn't abundance, it's okay. enough. It's enough, and that blew my mind because there's so much about abundance um, mindset and right. you know prosperity and manifesting. That and I, saw, I see people just spin out because they feel like they're not doing abundance or manifesting right. <laughs> right. But if you see scarcity show up, then you know that you have an enough issue, an enough issue to get curious about, and that's really the data. Instead of swimming in scarcity, imposter, and the critics, they're your data. Just like you know how you get like a. You I mean, when you get that scratchy throat, and you're like, oh no, I'm starting to come down with something. Got yeah. to slow down, drink the tea. That's how I see those things for me. I got to go do the U-turn and go, okay, what's going on? Where has my worthiness, my enoughness gotten connected to this? And then that's my work. Not about trying to get rid of that. They're the warning signs. They're the scratchy throats or the stuffy noses per se.
1: Okay. So if I were to then, when, when I get these emails and Rebecca, I get these emails a lot, I bet. And, saying, it's, and I see most of them are at pretty much the same level. So when they come to me with these emails, so if I were to bullet like three questions that I should turn around and ask them, can you like put that into?
0: Absolutely. And I was just kind of conjuring that up in my brain. So I would say move from I am to a part of me, when you're feeling imposter, critics, scarcity show up. So part of me is feeling this. I would get curious about what the fear is. What is the fear of being seen or fear? What's the fear? And really from a place of not trying to change it or judge it, a genuine without knowing where you want to go. Just like, huh, ask where you're feeling it in your body because then that grounds you. And not everyone's able to do that. That's fine. But just kind of it connects. And then you ask how you're feeling towards it. How are you feeling towards that part of you holding the fear? And, you know, all of a sudden now you're off trying to spin off of getting it out and you're building a relationship. You're connecting with this part of you.
1: Okay. So the three questions are, what, what are you afraid of? Where are you feeling that in your body? And how are you feeling towards it? And how are you feeling towards that feeling? So that's mm-hmm. like a little bit abstract. Okay. So those were the three things that I can turn around and say to someone and not so much that I would even have an answer for whatever they say back to me, but just to get them thinking along on those lines.
0: Yes, and I would add one more. How are you how are you trying how are you armoring up or protecting from feeling that fear? Okay. And is that helping or hurting? So maybe I added so there's five sorry, questions five, I added five. Yeah, and so and this is stuff for people to work out on their own and just to get curious about. and if it becomes a practice, because if you're going to put yourself out there, You're going to feel the critics. You're going to feel the imposter experience. You're going to feel vulnerable. You're going to feel uh, but you're going to feel, there's going to be feelings of not being safe. Yeah. And I I feel like the more that you do, do big stuff for you, the more it's going to be important to get clear on who are the one or two people in your life. And that can't always be you, but you facilitate them getting curious about that. Who are your go-to people and how can you be that person? For yourself too. Because sometimes this work is really lonely. Sometimes it's really like people are getting into something, creating things and into their zone. And it's hard to put that to word. I think it gets harder, the better you get, the more there's
1: at stake. So there's one thing to be sharing your art into a Facebook group when you're not a professional and people aren't judging you as a professional. And it's quite another thing than to be posting on Instagram or on Facebook when you are the professional and you're supposed to be the professional. So I find with myself and my friends that we're like, oh, you know, oh, I only got 200 likes on that Instagram picture. That painting was so right. So there's a lot more at stake when you when you. I don't know that you necessarily reach that level of the, of safeness when it comes to your. Work. I mean, I know you're not a painter, but don't you feel like with your other work, with your writing or speak that you have these issues as well, that you have the, the higher you get,
0: the more you have at stake. But unpack that for me. What's at stake? What's more at stake when you're seen as a professional artist versus not? Help me understand that.
1: Mm, that's a that's a good good question. You're more visible, and you have a little. You feel that you have a reputation now that you have to live up to. That it's a
0: question of yeah. So yeah, yeah, because what's more at stake is you're going to invite more critics. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to invite yeah. the external. Before it was just you between the ear critics and maybe a few little people <laughs> in your circle of influence, but when you become more known, you're inviting more good. You're inviting more recognition you're helping build a business, you're contributing. So there's a beauty in that. And you're inviting more critics who actually can know you and go, oh, Miriam, oh my gosh, have you seen what she does? She calls herself an artist. I don't know why people spend money on that. <laughs> Whatever like ludicrous thing they say, by the way, I don't believe that at all. Just giving an no, example. But
1: by, but by the way, when you, when you do get bigger, you do have the one or two people who will speak out and try to bring you down. That's the problem. You don't just have the people behind between your ears. You actually do have
0: the trolls on the internet who will. They're not going anywhere. No. And Um, and so that's where to get what the stakes are higher, where you you need to get radically clear on your boundaries with what's okay and what's not okay. And the other piece is getting curious about any trust issues, self-trust issues you Mm -hmm. have. Inhale it and doing the work to build like, Do I believe I'm doing my best? And again, art is something ever finished and all these questions I hear from those that they live their life through their art and their their creativity. But again, the the key is, is my worthiness, has it slipped on there? And I feel like it's it's like a recalibration constantly. If I'm starting to feel like this is dangerous, you're, you're putting yourself out there in the next level to the point where I'm feeling terror There's an element where I know now, okay, where did my worthiness sneak into this? It doesn't mean I'm not going to feel the risk, uncertainty and emotional exposure of vulnerability, but who I am, my worthiness to to, to have joy, to have success, to have love and belonging, to have meaning and make meaning, that's not on the table for negotiation.
1: Right. I just want to circle back to something you said in the beginning, for me at least, I'm pretty good about not letting those trolls define my worth, so you know how you talked about you there's certain people whose opinions matter
0: mm-hmm.
1: right Did I get that right yeah. <laughs> yeah so the the trolls' opinions don't matter to me, so i i've I've taken that off like and I know there's gonna they're gonna show up, and that's what's gonna happen occasionally Th- that I'm okay with what I've also found though that's interesting is that I will actually when i when I go to an art class I don't like people to know me so when they go around the room and introduce themselves I'll never say I'm a professional artist blah 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 blah. because now I'm suddenly setting myself up for vulnerability I I prefer to be able to be in the place where I'm a student like everybody else
0: Hmm. and And I I get that
1: permission to fail and and be okay with that
0: okay so so much there oh gosh okay so I get that with my my therapist hat I don't like to share that so many people have different reactions but what i found for me you mean when you're social Well, you're so, yeah, oh, social Yeah, movement, what do you do like and know. what do you specialize in i help right. people with shame and perfection and trauma issues they're like oh okay see ya. um oh, right. <laughs> you know but versus if i talk about oh i help people with overwhelm or feeling anxious you know or perfectionism that's more palatable sometimes so i've learned <laughs> in the circles yeah. but here's the thing if the way that you protect is by shrinking, oh. that's feeling the inner and outer critics. Oh, so right. for you to take up space as a professional artist, that's essential. And that courage is contagious. So your community needs you to take up space and model that. You're right. And, and claim it. You're right. Um, and so, um, yeah, so there's something else you said, hopefully I'll jog, because you were dropping the bombs there. I did, I did. Um, and so some days it's nice to operate without the expectations, but then that's a part of me that's like, stay quiet, stay low, stay below the radar. But that's me trying to stay small and not take yes. up space. And sometimes there's a time and space for that. I get it. I get it. Like when people find out your profession, sometimes they it's just something Interesting. And so that there's a boundary piece, but we have to take up space. And it's I don't know if this is a male, female thing. I know for women in particular, we're taught not to take up space. Okay. And there's also something and I have artists in my family and I've seen just like what it means to be an artist. Sometimes it's like, oh, that's not good enough or creative enough to. So I feel like claiming professional artist is vulnerable, but that's actually a courageous act. That needs to be done.
1: Right. And I have no problem saying I'm a professional artist when I meet people. It was simply in those situations. But
0: no, it makes sense though. I felt that, oh, I remembered also what you said. Here's the thing about the trolls. Yes. Here's the thing about the trolls. So in theory, right, I can say I know whose opinion matters. Like a, a husband, right. I have a couple colleagues, a couple mentors, and that's generous. Like they're the ones that see all of me unfiltered and still love me <laughs> regardless But here's, here's where the trolls get all of us though. We can say, I don't care because you're not in the inner circle, but if they say something, accuse, judge, critical, whatever their thing may be that taps into a core shame, part of my shame story, I'm down. And that's just how it goes. There's some things I'm very tender about. And especially if I'm attacked around integrity or my parenting or my faith or my professionalism those are the things I care a lot about and I that can still take me down because they're just super vulnerable or there's still stuff I'm rumbling through in my own story well that happened
1: to me recently did it not with
0: art but I was
1: in synagogue and this 95 year old guy came up to me and asked me when I was due
0: It's not funny. I lost it. I'm not you laughing. Know. No, I'm laughing. It was I almost was like funny. really was days was
1: spinning for days and then what also upset me was not just that he said it, but other people's response.
0: Oh, what did they say?
1: A- awful. Like, oh, that was so rude. Not you don't look pregnant. <laughs> you know? It's like, wait a minute, do you agree is well, do I look do I actually look pregnant? <laughs> what are you saying? It's like the response I wanted was like, that was a stupid thing to say. I don't, he can't see right. Or I don't know what he was thinking or I don't know, but there was not. it just like, spir- it got worse.
0: So the responses felt like they were agreeing with him, but still naming <laughs> it wasn't cool to say, but, uh, yes, you know, exactly. so then it was just right, like, compounding. Exactly. Oh,
1: exactly. And like I was thinking it too, you know, that dress. And then somebody said, Oh, it's just because of your dress.
0: But he, Here's so, the con- connection I, I've heard from people I know who are professional artists they parallel talking about their art, like talking about someone's body. It's that personal. Mm. So if you critique something, just to kind of say, oh, what are you do? Things you never say, right? To Especially to a woman. Things you don't, you just don't comment. And we have a culture that does that. And I feel like this. what I've learned from my professional artist friends and even those that aren't professional, but that's a big part of their life, when there's a judgment or criticism about it and how people respond, there's almost permission to talk about something so personal as your body, you know, and it's, it goes for the jugular. And so to say, yeah, like this gentleman at your synagogue, he's not a, Super super close friend, or but he went to something deeply personal and to feel so misunderstood and not seen correctly in your body. I mean, that's just ground zero. I mean, it's the number one shame trigger for women for sure, and for a lot of men. So yeah, I feel like too is how we even respond when we see someone in that storm. Sometimes it's just with you, sister. Let's sucked. What do you and what what is helpful to you right now? If you have one of your students in a face down moment, ask him what's helpful right now. What would be supportive to you right now?
1: So that would be question number six, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, and again, I want to circle my laughter was more of ridiculousness because I hear this so often that I sometimes just, it's just, I'm over. I'm over the body shaming. It's not going anywhere either. But that the 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 personal nature of our bodies and of art that's created, I see a, a really powerful parallel there.
1: You know, we're talking about the whole idea of playing small, and I hadn't thought about this before. When you said, "Well, you're you sure you want to be doing that?" I realized I did learn that from my mother. Hmm. He was a professional dancer. Oh wow! And yet. When she would go to a Pilates class or whatever the class was, she she never wanted to let people know that she was a dancer. She would go in the back and pretend like she didn't know what she was doing. Hmm. So I learned that from her
0: playing small. But yeah, the messages we get if we're confident and courageous and putting ourselves out there is... A lot of mixed stuff. There's a lot of people rumbling with their own worthiness. And so sometimes the way they off the pain is to try and keep us small too. So we learned look, let's just dodge that bullet and just we'll beat them and we'll stay small too. And again, I'm not talking about humility. I'm not talking about time and place stuff. It's just, okay. it is an overall mindset though that if I claim professional artist, I'm part of me is going to be self conscious of who's judging me and just to start to get curious about that. And that's the work. That's the work The get, what is this connected to? What is this about? What are the fears? What are the concerns? If we don't stay small, that's the journey. And that's the, that's the trailhead to some beautiful ah ahas and probably some more beautiful art. I would suspect. Right. The confidence too.
1: Right. To make better art, you have to be willing to fail and experiment and do something that might not work out.
0: You can't not fail. I, I don't know right. where we got that message. Like failure right. is how we learn. So, and it stings like terribly sometimes. And I need to convalesce sometimes for ages after a failure. Mm. Um, and sometimes I just need to put a figurative bandaid on it and rest. But failure is not if, it's always when. Right. And it, it, it's always that way. And it, my perfectionism Jacked up that mindset for so long, and there's not a big group of people going, "Yay, you failed!" What were your key learnings? I, and still, it's still it's still, <laughs> it's still crickets uh, outside of certain professional circles of mine. It circles back to where is my worthiness, and what are the things that matter most? What are these core, like, what are the core values of your artists in your community? Why do they do what they do? And if they're staying small, and that's counter to their core values they're going to feel the dissonance and things and it will be harder to manage both the inner critics and the outer critics. But if I know I'm entering into a jungle of critics, but I'm doing so because it's guided by what matters most, that is energizing. It's still terrifying, but that has meaning and purpose.
1: So Rebecca, do you feel you have to manage the inner critic before you manage the outer critic? Is there like... (laughs)
0: <laughs> or does it, the order does it matter, or is it? Well, you can't you can't control the outer, so no. you have no control. So you no, have agency. Your
1: feelings, your feelings around. Oh, like, I see. Yeah, like are you manage? Is it more important to start managing how you feel about yourself in order to start managing how you feel about other people's opinions about you?
0: I mean, a ground zero is ourselves always, but it's like a little like popcorn party with the potential threat of an outer critic that will light up your inner critic. And it's just, you know, the physics of all that can get lit up. But again, seeing that as data to getting curious about fears and meaning, and where is that aligned to why you're doing what you're doing, that gets you out of the dance of trying to avoid it because it's impossible. And the reality is, is we can see ourselves as successes and someone else would call it a failure and vice versa. I mean, you were just kind of naming that about some of your students where you're like, oh, my gosh, your work is amazing. But they see it as a, as a it's not good enough for them. Right. Um, and that's so personal <laughs> for each person. Right. And so for me, again, it's it's checking my worthiness and checking the hustling and checking the staying small. But I think because we have the most agency over dealing with what's in us, it's always a beautiful and best place to start. And then for me now to my bandwidth to be around the noise is nearly non-existent. I literally start to feel sick. If I'm in a situation that just feels so out of integrity or so, so toxic, I don't have the bandwidth to numb out from that anymore. So I'm pretty picky about who I surround myself with or what I put in my brain, what news I consume mm-hmm. or things I do. And I can tell when I'm not honoring that. So garbage in is garbage out. Yeah. So I would say it's not like if you do this, then but we have the most power and the most agency to do our own U-turns and get curious and collect the data of what we're learning in our own system and about our own story. And the beauty then too, is this helps me when I see people discharging pain to me or to others I care about, I'm actually able to get to the place where I can have compassion for those parts. Because I'm like, wow, for someone to say or do that, they must be in a lot of pain. It's still freaking not okay. And I don't want to be a thousand miles near them. Okay. But then it's better for my heart if I'm operating from a place of compassion for someone who's really in a dark place to do do or say things that are harsh, then it's better for my soul and how I show up to people who matter to me, then they don't have the hold on me either. If I'm able to go, and the, the times where it's hard to extricate the hold is when it's hooked into something that's a part of my shame story or something that's part of my tender story. And that just ushers me into my own just more personal development or personal reflection work and it never ends because we're dynamic beings and there's no one like artists that are fully engaged in that and in touch with that I I really admire I admire that about creative communities that really cultivate just put wearing that out there and connecting with that right but we're in a world that that can be really dangerous yeah so this was super valuable (laughs) Rebecca
1: Where do you, uh, well, let me just ask you, is there one last thing you want to share with my audience before we say goodbye?
0: Oh, gosh. Stay curious about your pain. That's where you're going to make your greatest art. Be very clear about what's okay and not okay. And do whatever you can to repair, build, and maintain trust with yourself and listen um, is such great wisdom in you and the world needs what you have to make. That's so beautiful. Where can people go to find you to learn more? Huh, thank you. So Instagram is where I'm at Rebecca Ching, MFT and in Instagram. You can also find me at Rebecca Ching.com. I'm in the process of redoing this site and adding some really fun opportunities to learn more about a couple methodologies, internal family systems, where I've of this lingo about parts and U-turns comes from, and also opportunity to do workshops based on Brené's research, Brené Brown's research. So you can check out there, but Instagram is probably the best place to find me right now.
1: Okay. So I'm going to make sure that links to all those places are Thank in you. my show, show note. Thank you, Rebecca, so much for spending this time with me. I definitely learned a
0: lot and I hope that everyone listening did as well. Thank you so much for having me and thanks for all that you're doing too. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. Take care.
1: Now, don't forget, I've created a custom list of journal prompts based on this episode to help you use what we've talked about today to overcome imposter syndrome. Visit chilmanart.com forward slash six to grab it now. It's totally free. And if you like today's episode, I would love to hear from you. Send me a message over on Instagram. My handle there is at chilmanart.com or email me Miriam at chilmanart.com. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart on Instagram at shulmanart. And of course, on shulmanart.com. Next week on the Inspiration Place podcast. So it really depends on kind of your audience and your main objective with your Instagram account. But I'm at a
0: place now where I'm telling most of my students that posting every day is too often to post on Instagram.
1: So if you want to hear... How many times is the ideal posting for Instagram? And lots more Instagram tips. Tune in next time to the Inspiration Place podcast. Same time, same place. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Inspiration Place wherever you listen. Bye for now.